It is good to be in the house of the Lord tonight. Amen. The sun came out and almost blinded us today. What a beautiful day it has been, especially after the weeks of rain and clouds and getting wet and getting soaked. 1 Thessalonians 4, 9 through 13. This is the scripture that we'll be focusing on tonight. Now, about brotherly love, we do not need to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do love all the brothers throughout Macedonia. Yet we urge you, brothers, to do so more and more. Make it your ambition to live a quiet life, to mind your own business, and to work with your hands just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anyone. This is the word of God for the people of God, and together we say, thanks be to God. The year is 51 AD, and a man named Paul, along with his friends Silas, Timothy, and Luke, arrived in Corneth. Paul decides to write a letter to a young Christian church in Thessalonica, which was the capital of the city of Roman province of Macedonia. Now, he wrote these two brief letters in the New Testament, and these have been preserved for years and years, and we are able to read them today, which is just absolutely amazing. What, what Paul has to say to the Thessalonians at that time was very fresh and encouraging and challenging, but he says the same thing to us today as a church body. These letters were written by a pastor teacher to an urban congregation, but they were also letters written by a friend to other friends, and they are very relevant today. Uh, Some believe that this, this is likely the first letter of Paul is the earliest letter in the Bible. I'm sorry, in the New Testament. And in this passage, Paul addresses a life that is pleasing to God, the holy life. And we have spent several weeks going through 1 Thessalonians, which is one of my favorite books It's just so practical and clear and simple. Now, Adam covered the first part of chapter 4 last week, which was sexual purity. And have I told you, Adam, how thankful that I am that you had the first part and I have the next part? Uh, He did a tremendous job of being very transparent and sharing his own story And I know that you appreciated that as well as I did. In our scripture today, though, Paul addresses two things from the church. I think we have the slide for that. Love and the quiet life. And this may be simple to say, but I think we always need to be examining ourselves to see where we are, to see where we fall. If you recall, at the beginning of the verse, he talks about the brotherly love. Um, He says, 
He says, we don't even need to write to you about this because you guys are doing it already. You guys are so good at this. And not only that, but, but you've expanded it into Macedonia. And I think probably if Paul was here today, he would, he would be talking to us that way. He would say, the neighborhood church, man, I walk through those doors back there and I walk in and I see this warm love that you have for each other. It's very, very evident. And I want you to do more of that. I don't want you to be satisfied with the status quo, but I want you to to learn how to express love even more. And why do we express love? It's not because we love God and then we love others. It's because God loved us first. And he made the atonement for our sins so that we could know him. And to know God is to love God. And from that comes this outpouring of love that we can share with each other and with those around us. We spent hours this week, or a lot of you did. I was not there personally, but at the clothes closet. This is taking God's love outside of this building It's taking it to a place where God's love is needed. And and we encounter people who come in, and they're looking to be loved. Recently, the Associated Press conducted a survey of 39 different Protestant denominations. And they asked one question. What is the number one factor that causes congregations to grow? Are there any factors you can find in in growing church, regardless of doctrine, denomination, location, culture? Well, it wasn't the preaching. It wasn't the presence of a really strong children's ministry, and it was not the air conditioner. On the basis of this survey, they discovered that the number one characteristic of a growing church was that atmosphere of love among the membership. And if Christians really began to love each other the way that God would want us to, then we would have to lock the doors to to keep the people away. Several years ago when I was in seminary, I had an assignment. And that was, you need to go visit some place that's totally different from your own religion. And so I didn't know what that was going to be, but I thought it was pretty exciting. I kind of like to try different things. And one day I was reading in the paper, and I saw this ad in the Dallas Morning News about a church in Arlington called the Church of Unbelief. And I looked at it and read it again because I wasn't sure I read it correctly. The Church of Unbelief. And so... I asked Sid if he would go with me on one Sunday morning, which is when they meet, which is kind of interesting. We drove across to Arlington to a Holiday Inn where they had rented a back room. And we were welcomed with coffee and donuts. Everything about it kind of felt like a church. And so we went inside and not many people spoke to us. We sat down and... No one came over to us. And they had a live band, Kelly, and they were singing songs from the 60s and 70s, 
which we like those songs, but it was weird. It was so weird to sit in that setting and hear those songs. Of course, there was an absence of prayer. There was an absence of real love. And I guess what would have been the preacher bringing a message, the guy came up and gave a report on how one of their people up in the United, who represented the United States, had an open debate with a, a theologian who was a strong Christian, and how he felt like this guy had just slammed that theologian. And I'll tell you, Sid and I got to feeling uncomfortable because they were talking about this God that we love and we worship. And so during the service, they continued to make jabs at being a Christian, and they would all laugh. And we left that place feeling so empty. There was a lack of love, but there was a lack of Jesus. And just for curiosity this morning, I looked it up to see if it was still there, and it is not. But there are other churches of unbelief around the United States. Even in the earliest days of church, love was essential within the church, and it is essential to our church today. We are called to love well, right? What does that even mean? We're going to talk about it. But the greatest compliment that a church can receive is that it is a loving church. They, they will know we are Christians by our love. Now, back in Paul's day when he wrote this letter, <clears throat> there were different political views. There were different nationalities. The Greek, along with the Romans, barbarians and eastern peoples, freedmen and slaves, different languages, Greek and other, different religious backgrounds, social status, beginning to sound like our world, right? Right here in the heart of, of Texas. And only fellowship of sharing something in common, that's all they had was the gospel. That was their foundation. And it is our foundation today as we bind our hearts together. This, this bound their hearts together as brothers and sisters in Christ. So how's TNC doing in this area? If Paul were here and spent time with us, what would he say? We say we love people. We say we love all people. But do we? Do we love people who are totally different from us, regardless of their race, their culture, status, age, orientation? people who are struggling, people who have different beliefs politically, Cruz or Beto, are we really loving? Do we love well on Facebook, or is that our platform? Do we love enough to love a Muslim who might walk in to our presence and sit in our church? I know you're, you're probably thinking, you're getting a little personal now. Leave my Facebook off of it. Well, yeah, I am getting personal because this is personal and it's important. 
Because of God's love, we are to love one another. God teaches us how to love. This is love, not that we have loved God first, but that he loved us and sent his son. And then Paul calls in this scripture, calls on the church to love more and more. You're loving well. You're loving each other. Keep loving. Keep stretching yourself. Keep looking for opportunities to spread God's love. I see love as being one of our strong suits at TNC. But can we do more? Can we really love more? So the second part of this passage says, Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, and to work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anyone. Well, we could spend a couple hours on this, right? Mind your own business, work with your hands. Yeah, it's going to get personal. Just wait around. Make it your ambition. Have ambition to lead a quiet life. That's what Paul's saying. Another translation, uh, I think it's the King James, which is old, and I don't read it a lot now, but I love what it says. It says, study to be quiet. So we think about studying in order to learn about something we don't know about. And Paul's saying, hey, church, study it. Study it. Figure it out so that you can have the knowledge and then you can have the experience of leading a quiet life. Another translation says, aspire to live quietly. What does that even mean? And why would Paul be telling the early Christians that this was important? Perhaps we can ask it another way. What prevents us from being quiet? Now, the gears are turning in your mind. Well, we have soccer practice this night. We have band competition. We have blah, blah, blah. Everything in our life is so scheduled, and we are so, so busy. We don't really have time to be quiet. And do we encourage this quality in our own lives and in our children's lives? Living a quiet life. Let me ask you these personal questions. When was the last time you were quiet for 15 minutes without talking? When was the last time you were in a place that was so quiet you could hear a pin drop? Would you describe your emotions as being orderly or disorderly? Are you able to sit without noise or music in your ears or the TV going? Does silence bother you? I've I've worked with people on this what Richard Foster calls spiritual discipline, that of being quiet or sitting in silence and solitude. And people today are scared of quietness because we've not really been taught that. Now, I think TNC is a little different 
because we talk a lot about the disciplines and to be silent and solitude. And we encourage our leaders when we go on retreats to have this time. But in our normal everyday life, silence and quietness is, can be pretty frightening. So there's some scripture to help us along. It is biblical that we learn to live quiet lives. And we don't really realize that. But Psalms 131, 1 through 3, quietness is calm in the soul. You recall when, when Jesus calmed the seas? Proverbs 133, quietness is listening to God. When I was teaching school, I used to remind my students often that we're given two ears and one mouth so that we should listen more, but we don't do that. Proverbs 17.1, quietness is to be desired. Isaiah 32.16-20 says, quietness comes from peace and the result of righteousness. 1 Peter 3, 3 and 4, quietness is precious and beautiful to God. Quietness is the opposite of a storm. Quietness is waiting on God. Quietness is an orderly life. I heard not too long ago, maybe last spring, at a lecture that we were attending, and the guy just made this comment, and for some reason, it stuck with me, and it made me examine my life. He said, if you don't have control of your life, of your time, you do not have control of your life. If you don't have control of your time, you do not have control of your life. And I wrote that down, and I kept thinking about it. And so when we came home, I continued to think on that. And so I, can, I, I looked back to see what my schedule was and realized that I was pretty undisciplined with my time. I just more or less kind of let, let it happen, whatever needed to be done here or here, not really having a set time. And so... I started setting my alarm clock really, really early, either 5.30 or 6, and the first thing that I would do is get up, make coffee, and go to my Bible and sit in quietness. And I couldn't believe the difference that I had for that day. For after that time, I would take a sheet of paper and quickly line out what needed to be done and then looked and, and prioritized that. And, and that day turned into days and weeks and months, and I began to see that, that this professor was so right, that you have to have control of your time. You have to know when to say yes to things and when to say no. I've been told that if you say yes to something, you're saying no to something else. And who controls our time? Yeah, if you work, there's the work day. But who controls the time outside of that work day? And how does it look for you? And how does quietness, living the quiet life, how is that reachable? 
To have a quiet spirit means that one has to have order and control over their emotions, spirit, and thoughts. God will come in those quiet moments and often waits for those times to teach and to speak and to, and to speak into us. The quietness on the inside will translate to a peaceful existence on the outside. So aspire to live quietly. Just live quietly. Be faithful. You're not looking to gather a crown around you. You just want to live faithfully. I can't think of a better example of a quiet life than the life of Brother Lawrence. This is a book, The Practice of the Presence of God. And this was written about 300 years ago. Nicholas Herman was a man that was brought up by a family who loved God and taught their children to love God. He joined the armed services at an early age. He went to fight and was captured in Germany. He was held for a long time because they began to think that he was a spy. And when they brought him and put him on trial, he said this to those people. He said, you know, I love God with all my heart, and I have never done anything that you have said that I've done. I've never done anything intentionally to hurt God. And because of that, I am not afraid to die. And the Germans turned him loose. He was injured. He came back to the United States. He really struggled with such a broken world and finding his place in it. But he really always wanted to be totally devoted to God. And what did that look like? Well, he got, he got a kitchen job at a monastery. And as a humble cook, he learned an important lesson with each daily chore. The time he spent in communion with the Lord should be the same, whether he was busy in the kitchen or answering questions that were all being asked at the same time or kneeling in prayer. All of that was an opportunity to have communion with the Lord. Just think about that. So many times we compartmentalize Jesus in our lives. I mean, we wake up, we have a quiet time, we have a devotion, we start riding to work. And what happens when we get to work? We leave Jesus in the car and we go ahead and go to, to work and work all day. Or going to school, you know, driving to school, parking in the parking lot, and leaving Jesus outside of the front door. Because from here, we can kind of take it on, right? We have control. We can monitor our day. But think of how much we're missing if we don't have communion with God during the day, during our workplace, during our school day thinking about God, praying to God. And the opportunity is there. All we have to do is say, I'm going to do it. Brother Lawrence said this from his humble work in the kitchen. This book, if you don't have it, you need to get it and put it in your library. 
You see, it's a short read. Even Sid Kiesler would finish it. But, but this is his thoughts. This is people who knew Brother Lawrence and, and wrote about him. And the depth of riches, richness of this book is just amazing. So I would encourage you to read it. He says by the time that, that he had finally found this relationship, this beautiful relationship with God the Creator, he said this, I am doing now what I will do for all of eternity. I am blessing God, praising God, adoring Him, and loving Him with all my heart. So as we look to ourselves to examine ourselves, are we doing the same? Or are we shortchanging ourselves on knowing God? Paul goes on in the scripture to say, mind your own affairs. In other words, mind your own business. And what does that mean, church? Sometimes we find pleasure in knowing things that we don't even need to know about. True? And sometimes we share things that we know about people with other people when we don't even know if they're true. And somehow we get caught in that gossip. We get caught in this trap of of judging people and verbalizing that and how detrimental that is to our church. How we need to be on guard for that. So Paul says, mind your own business. It's important for us to know what our business is. Now, I'm called to love my husband and to love my children and my grandchildren, my family. I'm called to to work at this church, which is a pure joy, but to be available to you, to talk, to pray with you, to encourage you, I am not called to change the whole political system. I am not called to lead a big rally to Washington. I know what I'm called to do. Do you? To live a quiet life. Now, the reason we live a quiet life is not so we can say, I have led a quiet life. No, We do it because other people are attracted to us. There is an attraction, and that attraction is not to us personally. It is to Jesus Christ. I know you have known people who who have this confidence, this quiet confidence about Jesus. And how, I know if you're like me, I've looked at these people and thought, I want to be like that. What do they do? Do they study? Do they pray? And most of the time, every one of those people has a solid prayer life and a relationship with Jesus Christ through the quiet life. Live in such a way that you love God more and more and be witnesses to the outsiders Let others see you at the workplace. Let others see you in your neighborhood. Where do you get that calmness, that quietness? Where does that come from? And be able to say, come, come visit my church. I just 
want you to experience a place of love, of God's love. So if you put all these things together, Paul, Paul keeps saying over and over, don't live a selfish life. Live a life for God. And, and in the last, he talks about we are made to work. Amen? Work is a gift. It is a gift to us. I know a lot of people this week were planning what they were going to do when they won that big lottery. They were going to quit work first thing. No, no, no. We were made to work. And working honestly and responsibly is joyful. To be able to provide for financial needs of your family, to not always have to lean on someone else. Sometimes there's times when we just have to lean on others. But God has created us to work. There was a lady, uh, an older lady in a church that went to her pastor and said, Pastor, I want to do something, but, you know, I'm just not able. I'm sick. I stay at home a lot. A lot. I see people go out and feed the homeless. I can't do that, you know. I, I can't teach. I can't, I can't be a greeter because I can't stand on my feet. And the pastor thought for a moment, and he said, man, I understand that. You know, you're, you're right. But I wonder, do you ever cook? And she said, yeah. And he says, you have a cookie recipe or a brownie recipe? And she goes, I make the best brownies in the whole world. He said, you know, there's a lady in our church who's really going through a difficult time. What if you took her some brownies? And she did. The next week, she made the brownies. She took them to her. And the week after that, she was making brownies and taking them to someone else. She came back to talk to the pastor. And she said, Pastor, I, I took brownies to this person. I sat down. I visited. And I think I really encouraged her. And, and through all of this, she began to forget about herself forget how sickly she was because she was doing something else for others. No matter where we are, you can always work for someone else. Amen? And, and if you can't join the guys, when they go, the guys and the gals when they go over and prepare a, a broken fence, you can always bake brownies. You can always write prayers encourage them. Go over and just talk to the person who lives there. But all of us can join in community to, to the outside world to show God's love. Love well. And that's a stretch for a lot of us. We're still learning how to love well. Live a quiet life so that others will see you and be interested in where your source is coming from. We have a call for God to do his work, to live in harmony and, and unity within our church. Do we have difficulties in our church? Of course we do. Every church has difficulties. But sometimes the disagreements we have with each other when we reach resolution, 
by glorifying God, sometimes those people become the closest people within the whole church, those that have difficulty. Don't be afraid of conflict because conflict can be good if we are seeking resolution. Because, you see, that's what God majors in, is reconciliation. And so don't harden these feelings. But, but talk to Pastor Adam. Talk to, to Pastor Bud or myself. Let us help you with these feelings. Let us help you with conflict and showing love to each other. Because we want to be like that church in Thessalonians. We want to live a holy life, not for our own good, but because God is holy and we want to be more like God. Will you join me with prayer? Father, I thank you so much for Scripture that addresses things that are so relevant to us today. Father, living in a broken world and a broken culture, we are constantly examining ourselves to see where we stand, Father. You've called us to love and to love well. Father, would you help us do that? We've failed you by things we have done and by things we have left undone. Would you Send the Holy Spirit to help us recognize those opportunities where we can grow in God and grow in Christ and be transformed to be more like Jesus. Father, you've called us to go deep with you, to to have a love affair with Jesus. Father, would you help us do that and then And in finding that deep relationship with Jesus, would you help us to lean into his understanding, to lean into his truths? Would you help us to know how he would go forward and let us carry on? He lived a a quiet life, Lord, and we desire to be like Jesus. So help us. Live a quiet life to learn more about you, to be able to love deeper through you. Father, would you help us as a church to to work and love each other and help take care of each other, but at the same time, Father, to just encourage each other to go forward, to lean into Jesus Christ for understanding and for peace. We thank you that we have this charge today. Go with us through this day, the rest of this day. Go with us through communion and make this, Father, stick on our hearts and dwell in our souls so that we can examine ourselves to become more holy. Amen. Grant us, O God, a mind to meditate on you, eyes to behold you, ears to listen to your word, for your word, a heart to love you, and a life to proclaim you. Through the power of the Spirit of Jesus Christ our Lord, go in peace.